Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. If you got your Bibles, 2 Kings 5, we're going to we're going to jump in uh, dive in in just a moment. In in uh, December of of 2012, God began stirring in my heart two things. One was this great desire to to preach more. I had been in really student ministry, marriage ministry, uh, different facets of ministry for 10 years at that point. But the Lord began to stir in my heart a, a, a desire to preach. The other thing that, that he began to do is he began to create this longing to plant a, a gospel-centered church devoted to discipleship and, and diversity. Um, but here's, here's the thing. In many ways, Steph and I, and Steph was, was here with our crew in, in the early service, but we were comfortable uh, we, we had left the megachurch scene uh, in Houston, and when we had settled in Magnolia in the mag, uh, and so we had been there a couple of years, and, and God was doing some cool stuff. We were building, uh, we had built relationships with a lot of families and young couples. I was enjoying my role as an associate pastor, uh, kind of training up small group leaders and, and overseeing the kids' ministry, and I was like the backup preacher, right? And, and so there's not a lot of pressure on the backup preacher, right? You know, and so that, it was like, it was glorious, um, and, and so we began to sense this, this shift on the horizon, and we knew that God was up to something. And, and once, the, once the call to Brian was solidified around April of 2013, um, and things really began to move. Uh, and, and if you haven't read it, haven't heard of it, uh, I encourage you to read Henry Blackaby's book, Experiencing God. Because in, in true experiencing, it's an oldie but a goodie. Uh, but in, in true experiencing God fashion, we, we believe that God was going before us in, in the call, okay? We, uh, not only that, we believe that he was, in, check this out, he was inviting us to join him in a work that he was already doing in Brian, amen? Like, that's important. It's not like the brook showed up and it's like, all right, Lord, now you can begin to move. No, he was moving long before we got here. And then the third thing, we believed he was speaking to us through Scripture. He was speaking to us through prayer as we were seeking him. He was speaking to us through our, our, our circumstances. And then there was, there was certainly this kind of crisis of, of belief moment as we had to make the decision to step out in faith and leave behind what was comfortable and, and, and really step into the unknown. And then ultimately there was this this sense of we, we had to make major adjustments in our lives that we knew we, we, we had to make them, but we knew that God was calling us to take the step of obedience, and we had to trust Him with the details. 
We had to trust him with the details. So we, we rolled into Brian September, just a little over seven years ago. September of 2013, and, and we, we, started, uh, we started with a Sunday night gathering at our, our rent house on Wayside Drive, um, and, and that first gathering, we, we, uh, we met, and it was me, Stephanie, my bride, at the time our three boys, Ben and Ruthie, were not here yet, uh, and it was Tom and Charlene Bogus, our friends, the Garneys. And then like six hungry college dudes um, who ate all our food, and, but they kept coming. The two Matts, uh, J.D., Elliot, Drees, Brady, and Evan, and that was, that was Restoration 1.0. <laughs> Woo for that. Now let me be clear. If you, if you want some rock-solid examples of spiritual faith, uh, let me just encourage you, look to the Word of God. Amen? Look to Scripture is, is filled with faith-formed lives of those who stepped out. Amen? Stepped out, followed God's calling, stepped out in faith. Um, and, and for Steph and me, our, our journey has not been without its, its missteps, Right? Um, we've, we've definitely, it's been rocky along the way, but, but along the way, God has been faithful and God faithfully began to, to really, uh, stir up in us just this desire to, to heed his voice and to, to follow, listen to his voice and follow his, his leading. Uh, and in the midst of the journey, a great desire of mine, um, is, is an exhorter, is an encourager, is to see people to it's like just step out and follow God in faith and live a, a, a life of faith, not, not live by sight, not live by what, what always makes human sense, not, not live by what is always the most monetarily uh, you know, profitable, not live by, okay, here's my pros list, here's my cons list, let me just kind of weigh it all out. Church, that's how the world lives, Right? Chasing the stuff, chasing money, pros and cons, and, or, or, just, or just waiting until there's a, a big enough safety net underneath you where you, you can't step out and you, it, with, you know, you're not going to fail. Church, that's not faith. It's not faith. And the question, the question is, because God is into faith-formed living, the question is, are you? Are you into faith-formed living? Do you live by faith? And let me, let me put it this way. Does your decision-making flow from a relationship with God? Let me just let that sit for a minute. Does your decision-making flow from a relationship with God? from being immersed in, in, in Scripture and being led by the Holy Spirit? And if the answer, if the answer is no, you, if you're honest and like, no, I really, I really don't, there, there, there's really two questions I want to ask. One would be, are you okay, Christian, with missing God's mission and His kingdom purpose for your life? And if you're not, if you're not okay with that, then the follow-up question is, what are you willing to do to live that faith-formed life? This morning, we look at, we look at Naaman. We look at the faith-formed life of Naaman the Syrian. 
And we're going to look at three things uh, that, that faith really does and stirs up as we look at 2 Kings 5. And we'll look at 1 through 5, but the first thing I want to say is faith draws you out of your comfort zone. Amen? Faith draws you out of your comfort zone. Y'all are going to have to wake up this morning. Listen, you're, I'm going to have you talking to your neighbor, okay? It's, it's happening. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, comfort zone. Look at your other neighbor and say, comfort zone. <laughs> Tell them, get out of it. <laughs> faith, listen, the call of faith, faith draws you from your comfort zone. Look at one through, look at one through verses 1 through 5, 2 Kings 5. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Verse 2. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. She worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went and had told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. Verse 5, And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And I'll stop there. Faith draws you from your comfort zone. This week, uh, it, it's, been, it's been awesome to, to welcome a, a new RCB staff member to the fold. Uh, we've welcomed Fernando into the mix, our new youth minister. We can woo for that. So Fernando has had a whirlwind, whirlwind of a week, just meetings, uh, planning, writing as, as he begins to, to wrap his, his heart and his, his mind around youth ministry at RCB. And here's the deal, we're believing God for big things, amen? Like we're believing that God is going to raise up like awesome gospel-centered things among our families, among our, our teenagers. A lot of you guys are going to be a part of that as we pour into students and families. But, but ultimately, listen, it took a big step for Fernando to step out in faith. Right? He's, like, this, this brother's not coming from Calvert, right? Like He's not coming from Houston or Austin or Plano. Like He's coming from Tennessee, Right, and we'll get settled, which is the better state eventually. But but we love him. Um, but it took a big step, and, and and to to leave behind the familiar, to to leave behind the comfortable, and, and to step into the unknown in faith, believing that God was leading and going before him. Faith always draws you out of your comfort zone. Once you look at your neighbor, and say comfort zone. That was weak, guys. Look at, the, look at the text. Naaman was a big deal. Naaman was a big deal. Twice in verse 1, it, it talks about how big a deal. It draws, it draws attention to his stature as a, as a great man. It says that he was a mighty man of valor. He was the commander of the army of Aram, of Aram, which is modern-day Syria. Uh, he, uh, under the kingship of, of uh, a ruler who was named Ben-Hadad II. And the Syrians, they had been in this on and off again war with, with Israel for many years, with Samaria. Uh, and, and so apparently the events of 2 Kings 5 take place in a time of relative peace between Israel and Syria. But right off the bat, 
It's interesting that, that even as you look at this, this cat, even as he was a, a pagan Gentile oppressor, I want you to notice a couple of things about our text. One, it was God who had raised Naaman up. Amen? It was God who raised up and even gave him, was giving Syria, not Israel, Syria, a, a pagan Gentile nation, victory in battle. He had raised him up. Which is revealing that, that God's sovereign authority extended far beyond Israel. It was over the entire world. Amen? But the second thing you notice is we see that even as a, a foreigner and as one with leprosy, who, who by, listen, by Israelite standards would have, would have been unclean, uh, by all standards, God was at work in Naaman's heart and his life, and he was, he was willing to heal and to restore this Gentile. So in Israel, if, if you were a leper, if, if you had, and, and it wasn't just leprosy in the strictest sense, in the, in the Hebrew, there, there are many skin kind of maladies that could be covered, but, but because it often was contagious, lepers were isolated. They were ostracized be, uh, from the healthy population. Now, clearly, Syria did not have the same uh, leprosy protocols, right? Um, they they were they were in the uh, in the freedom party, uh, so so they didn't have the same they didn't have the same treatment toward those who were afflicted. Naaman, even with leprosy, was able to serve uh, in, in a in, in a as commander over the army in a prestigious position. And so, as you look at the text, in the most unlikely of circumstances. God uses this Israelite servant, this Israelite slave, to speak to Naaman's condition. And, and whether it was uh, maybe due to Naaman treating this slave well, or the, maybe she was this little girl was just merciful and wanted to, uh, wanted to speak to Naaman's condition and cared about the welfare of Naaman, and point him to the source of healing, God was at work in this. And, and, and so, kind of side note, fun fact, Naaman's, uh, in, in his native tongue, Naaman meant grace. Naaman meant grace. And God was about to pour out his, his grace on this Gentile commander of an army. The question would become, would, would Naaman... Would he be willing to leave behind his country? Would he be willing to, to leave what was comfortable, leave his homeland to go and find the solution for what he needed? And, and, and let me drop some application right here. Church, listen, I, like, I, I would love to tell you, Christian, that you can stay exactly where you are and go with God, but that is not the picture of Scripture. Amen? Like, I, I would love to tell you that, that you, can, you can stay where you are uh, and go with God, but that, like, that, is, that, is not, that is not a faith-formed life, and it's not the picture that we see in God's Word. In fact, I can almost guarantee you, hear me, I can guarantee you that whatever God has in store for you, Christian, it's going to stretch you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to sift you. It, it, it's going to shake you, and it... it it will be uncomfortable. Like we, we've got to get out of some of this like 
constant barrage of like health and wealth and understand that like uh, if it's easy, it may be empty in the path of your kingdom purpose probably runs through some rugged terrain. You all with me this way? If you're with me, say amen. amen. The path to your kingdom purpose may run through some rugged terrain. It's not, not, not always going to be this smooth path where all the obstacles and the roadblocks and the hardship has been removed for you. And at some point, listen, hear me, like your desire for healing your desire for wholeness, for significance, your desire to be on mission with God has got to move you outside of what's comfortable. Don't, don't buy into this Americanized version of Christianity where God gives your flesh everything at once. Because God is far more interested in your, in ho- your holiness, in your worship, than He is your health and your wealth. He's far more into your holiness and worship than he is your health and your wealth. Naaman had to step out. He had to step out of his comfort zone, and I can guarantee so will you. So will you. Second thing, as we look at verses 5 through 14, faith drives obedience. Faith drives obedience. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, obedience. obedience. Look at your neighbor and say, faith drives obedience. Awesome. Hey, we're awake now. So, so look at verse 5. And let's, let's walk through, let's walk through the, the journey, the story together. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver. We'll break this down in a minute. Six thousand shekels of gold. Ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you to Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel, I love this, read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to make alive? This was not a good king. And this man sends word to me to to cure a man of his leprosy. Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. Verse 8. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. Elisha's like, I got this. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored. You and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry. And he went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in rage. Verse 13, But his servants came near and he said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? As he actually said to you, Wash and be clean. So he went down. He dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Faith drives obedience. See, at first, Naaman, uh, if, if you know Old Testament history, the kings of Israel from Samaria, uh, m- most of these dudes are not good men. Uh, a lot of the godly kings, they're, they're, they're Judah. They're, they're the southern tribes of Israel, the northern tribes. So, so uh, Naaman comes to King Joram. 
Joram was the son of wicked King Ahab. Both of these are not, not good men. And, and Joram is in this like grief-stricken panic, like rips off his, his clothes. He's, he, because he's assuming that Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, is about to stir something up. He, he thinks he's, he's about to provoke, he's trying to provoke an attack. Because it, it, think about it. Here, here the, 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 the army commander of Ben-Hadad, Naaman, is in front of you with 750 pounds of silver. <laughs> 750, 150 pounds of gold. I know some of you guys just got your Aggie ring and it's a big chunk of gold. It is not 150 pounds. Okay, in, in like changes of clothes, because apparently like changes of clothes were a big deal back then. And, he, and he's in front of the king saying, I've heard that like I can find healing here. Right. And Joram's like, oh, man. Like, am I am I God? And it's interesting in Luke four, Jesus actually talks about this. And he says in Luke four, twenty seven, Jesus says there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Oh, the irony that in a time when no one in Israel was experiencing healing due to their disobedience, that God chose to heal this Syrian commander. And oh, the irony that King Joram, who's like quaking in his sandals, whatever he was wearing, He's, he's scared to death and he's saying, like, I, am I God that I can make a, like bring to life and bring healing when it was he who had turned his back completely on God? And it was he who was perfectly content to keep the prophet Elisha in banishment in the wilderness. But Naaman, as you look at the text, with all of his power, with all of his status, with all of his wealth, he didn't realize that healing wasn't something that he, could, he's, he was going to be able to purchase or accomplish on his own. No doubt, listen, I, there's no doubt in my mind that those Syrian doctors had tried everything. There's no doubt in my mind that they, they had done everything in their power to remedy the skin disorder. Thus, the, the, what ensued was this trip to Israel to search for this solution that had evaded Naaman for who knows how long, for years. But church, Naaman was soon to understand that the faith-formed life is not on our own terms. It's on God's. Amen? The faith-formed life is always on God's terms, not on your own. And so Naaman, after being redirected to Elisha, I love this. <laughs> it's already said he's a great man. So he already said he's a mighty man of valor. So Naaman rolls up to Elisha's crib with like he, all of his chariots, the full squad, in all the pomp and circumstance. And check this out. Elisha doesn't even go outside to greet him. Elisha doesn't even get up. Elisha, maybe because you know, he was a leper, maybe because Elisha was trying to put him in his place, Elisha sends his servant out. <laughs> so the servant of Elisha comes out, greets Naaman and says, hey, go and wash in the Jordan River seven times. And the command was simple enough, but it absolutely confounded. It absolutely confounded Naaman. 
He didn't understand what to do with, with this ridiculous request to go to the Jordan. He, it's like, what? But, but why? He's even pointing back to rivers in his homeland. He, he didn't understand. I know every, everybody's been watching Cobra Kai, uh, new show. Listen, it's got some language. Johnny needs to wash his mouth out with some soap, okay? Along with some of the other characters. But I go back to the OG Karate Kid, right? I go back to the original where, think about it. Think about when Mr. Miyagi is working with Daniel and he's got him all like sand in the floor and he's wax on, wax off, and he's painting the fence. And, and old Daniel, you know, like the, you think these are ridiculous requests, right? Wrong. <laughs> Mr. Miyagi's like, just hold on. And old Daniel Daniel gets to the point, he's ready to despair over, you go back to Karate Kid 1, he's ready to despair over all the time wasted, these ridiculous requests, all this time wasted at the dojo, but he learns, he's got to learn the lesson from the master. And as you look at Naaman, Naaman is ready to despair what over what he considers to be this ridiculous request. Like why, like, why in the world would I bathe in the muddy Jordan River? And so at first he balks, right? He, he starts to bounce back to Syria. He's like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm out. Until his people point out the obvious. We see this in verse 13 and 14. And his people say, isn't this... Isn't this simple command? Isn't this simple word? This request? Isn't it great news? In verse 13 it says, My Father, it's a great word. Will you not do it? Wash and be clean. And then you get to verse 14. And verse 14 is the crux of not only of the passage, but it's really the crux of a, of a faith-formed life. The text tells us, don't miss this. In verse 14, So He went. Amen? So he went, he did it. He went according to the word of the man of God. In church family, he was restored. Amen? He was restored. Not, not because of his power. Not because of his wealth. Not because he was worthy or deserving. But because of the mercy of God, this man was healed. Amen? Bible Knowledge Commentary says this, the cure lay not in the water of the Jordan, but in the obedient faith in God's promise through the prophet. And church, whether we realize it or not, 2 Kings 5 is giving us this gospel picture. Think about it. It's a gospel preview. How many seeking to find healing want to do some sort of work? Right? How many that are looking for healing and wholeness to fix the brokenness in their lives you want to you work for it. You want to come to God on your own merit. Or you want to just stay where you are and wash, sort of wash in your own rivers. Essentially, come up with your own sort of solutions for healing. In the Gospel, yet the Gospel says, come to Jesus alone for healing. Amen? The Gospel says, come, find cleansing through the work of Christ alone. And here's, here's the application. Like, 
You, you may be seeking God. Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're not seeking God at all, but you're here and God's brought you to this place. And, and all of us, listen, at some point are faced with the same call. Come to Jesus and be clean. Come to Jesus and be clean. Be cleansed of all that guilt. All that, all that shame, all that hurt, all of that brokenness that's connected to the sin that dwells in your heart and the sin that's been driving your life, come to Jesus and be clean. And y'all, that what a great word. What a great simple word. Come to Jesus and be clean. And we need to let... We need to let the word of Naaman's servant just echo in our ears. Will you not do it? Amen? Will you not do it? And how about this, Christian? Christian, what, what step of obedience are you not taking right now? Like you know what God's word says. You know what Jesus has called you to. What step of obedience are you not taking in your dating relationship, in your speech, in what you're putting in front of your eyes, in, in, what, in, in, in that decision that you need to make in regard to how you're processing career and calling, in how you're, in how you're handling that, that conflict. You want to live a faith-formed life? Let your faith in the promises of Christ drive obedience. Amen? Let your faith in the promises of Christ, trust God. Let your faith in His promises drive obedience. Third thing this morning is to look at verse 15. I love this. (laughs) Faith demands the Lordship of Christ. Faith demands the Lordship of Christ. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, Lordship. Lordship. Look at your other neighbor and say, Lordship. Lordship. Verse 15. Go with me there. Then he returned to the man of God. Like This is name. This dude is like jacked up for God right here. He is... It is game over. Everything's changed. Life transformation. He returned to the man of God in all his company and he came and he stood before him and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Faith demands the Lordship of Christ. Think, think, about, think about the varied ways in which Jesus healed in the New Testament. At times, like Jesus would like speak a word and somebody was healed. At times, he would go and touch, uh, touch someone and they were healed. He, he healed so many different ways. One time, he, he found some mud and he spit in it. <laughs> he, he just used, he, he found some dirt and he spit in it and, and he, he healed with some mud. And think about it. What, what was the one common denominator in all of those healings? It was Him. Jesus was the common denominator. It was, it was all about Him. And the, the four Gospel books, you think about what they're revealing. They're revealing that Jesus alone is Lord. 
He alone is sovereign over the healing and the salvation of people. And this is exactly what Naaman finally confesses. After being healed, he he returns to Elisha and says, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. And y'all, church, this is the end goal. This is the end goal that God, God's glory in Christ. Amen? That Jesus would be exalted on the earth. That He would be glorified. That people would know that He is Lord. Paul says it like this in Philippians 2. Therefore, God has ex- highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is ev- above every name so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Restoration fam, the the American church has settled for this this low-hanging fruit of a Jesus who wants to heal you and save you, but He doesn't require your obedience. That is not the Jesus of Scripture. But yet we're, we're reaching for that fruit, but that is not what Scripture is pointing to. The American church, listen, we're offering a Jesus who is devoted to all things you, but He doesn't demand lordship. And that is not the Jesus of Scripture. In 1875, there was a British poet, William Ernest Henley, who, who published a, a short title, a short poem entitled Invictus, uh, which testified to the self-sufficiency of man. I want to read it. Henley said this, Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever God's may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced, nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody, but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. And in the famous last line of Henley's poem, it matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll, I am the master of my fate, and I am the captain of my soul. Sounds good, right? It's like the, the, the humanistic like manifesto right there. But let me tell you this. The thing about a captain of their own soul, they will never experience the healing that can only come from Jesus Christ. If you're a captain of your own soul, you'll never find and experience the healing, hear me, that can come from Jesus Christ alone. See, faith demands the Lordship of Christ. Church, 2 Kings gives us, 2 Kings 5 gives us a picture of the gospel. It gives a, us a, a picture of, of the faith-formed life. I love how Warren Wiersbe puts it. He puts it like this. Naaman was, was condemned. Naaman was an enemy, but Naaman heard a witness. Naaman tried to save himself. He was called by God. He resisted God's way of simple salvation. But ultimately, Naaman was cured by his obedient faith. Wow. It's the gospel. 
And I'll close, I'll close with this this morning. The faith-formed life begins and ends with the gospel of Jesus. Amen? The faith-formed life begins and ends with the gospel. First, we, we've got to settle. You've got to settle. How will you respond to the cross of Christ? And then from there, you've got to settle. How are you going to respond, Christian, to the reality of Galatians 2.20? This says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I live, I now live in the flesh by faith. The Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Think about that last part. The life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Last thing and I'm done. All four of, our, of, of the Brooks boys, Ruth, Ruthie's not there yet, but all four of the Brooks boys are swimmers. Even Benjamin at five, he, he, he still needs a, little, he needs a little bit of work, but he's getting there. His, his parents... Uh, pools and bodies of water can be like the source of great anxiety. Uh, and, and so you work hard to get your kids to where they're little swimmers. And uh, Steph's parents were in the first service sitting right over here, but Steph's parents at Oma and Grandpa's, there's this rock waterfall that, that kind of overlays their pool. And it's become sort of this rite of passage for all the Brooks boys to get up on that rock waterfall and to jump in the pool. And even a little while back, Ben, at, at five, earlier this year, at five years old, got up on that rock waterfall, and he, he jumped in, right? We were like, yes, Ben. It's a huge moment. But here's the deal. When, when Ben looks out, because it's nerve-wracking, when Ben looks out and he surveys the water, there's, there's really only one thing Benjamin needs to decide. If dad is calling me into the water, can I trust him? If dad is calling me into the water, can I trust him? Will the one who's asking me to jump catch me? And the truth is, church, I would give my life for my son. So you better believe if I call him, I've got him. Church family, how much more? How much more? Can you trust a perfect heavenly Father who has called you? How much more can you trust Jesus the Son who gave His life for you? What, what is holding you back from a faith-formed life? Whatever, is, whatever God is calling you to do, I would just again implore you, let, let the words of Naaman's servant wash over you. Will you not do it? Will you not do it? Whatever God's calling you to do, do it. Let's pray.